Welcome to the Outbound Sales Podcast by Uplead. Join us as we share stories, insights, and advice from leading industry professionals to help you succeed in the world of outbound sales. I'm your host, Chris Zuby. All right, Chris, thank you for joining us. Welcome to the Outbound Sales Podcast. Appreciate you being here. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you as well, Chris. No, it's my pleasure to be on. Yeah, appreciate you coming on. So usually I'll just ask a couple of quick warm-up questions. The first one that I've got for you would be, tell us a bit about how you got into sales. Like what kind of brought you to the world of sales? So about me, you know, I used to be a professional athlete. Unfortunately, some injuries happened during that career. And I just decided I'm going to go into study, get a job, do something like that. And actually my first job ended up being in sales. And I just fell in love with it, right? I fell in love with connecting with people. That was the key thing to me. I could not see myself ever doing like a desk job where I'm just, you know, typing into my computer or in a spreadsheet or something. I always like to connect with people. And one of the reasons I'm here today, right? I love to talk to people, learn stuff, share my experiences. And it kind of naturally went into sales. And, you know, I happened to be quite good at it and successful. And I just kept going and never looked back, to be honest with you. Nice. There seems to be a, a common thread between sales and athletics for whatever reason. I, I always make comparisons between the two all the time. I'm kind of a big sports guy myself. Yeah. Yeah. I, I truly believe that sales is a team sport, right? As much as it's not, right? It's a kind of an individual performance, right? In sales, it's normal to have competition and all that, but it is a team sport, especially when you go into more in-depth technical sales, where it really becomes a team sport. And you know, if you guys are not yeah. performing, as a team, whether it's with your SE, SA, right? It just doesn't work. So yeah, yeah there, is, there is an overlap between sales and sport for sure. I always think too, on just kind of funny note, like oh, salespeople are typically not, at least in my experience, very technical people. So to your point there, that it's, you know, the sales, a lot of times it's kind of tagging in that technical person if you work for a tech company and kind of getting that support across the board. So 100%. What's your current team look like at Orango BB? So we're currently at 11 enterprise account executives. So I manage the enterprise account executives, right? On the sales side, we have currently 11 enterprise account executives and we've been through some shifts. So currently we're at 11, right? But worldwide. Awesome. And is everybody remote or do you guys go to a single location? Oh, we've been remote before COVID, right? We've been a remote company from day one, you know, originally founded in Germany, so naturally, you know, we have offices in San Francisco, right? Which is kind of our headquarters right now. But yeah, no one goes to the office. I do truly believe in work from home. And I know some people are a bit hesitant. And it is a bit harder when you're early in your career, maybe, right? Working from home. I see that. But in reality, you know, if people have the drive, they have to drive wherever they are. I've, uh, I've been on record saying I'm never going back to an office. So <laughs> hoping I can keep it that way. I enjoy the work from home life quite a bit too. So sometimes I just got to get myself outside a little bit after the day is over, I start to get a little crazy. I don't know about you. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, <laughs> the biggest problem that I have with it is you never stop working, which is good and bad, right? But I lean towards more. It's bad. So I think it's kind of really important to have that mental shift, you know, kind of close the door of your office, whatever it is, whatever that means for you and just kind of, you know, mm-hmm turn off and say, I'm not working anymore. When your home is your office and your office is your home, how do you differentiate a little bit? But that's probably a topic for another podcast. We'll bring that one up another time. I got a bit of an agenda here, but in your experience, tell me about leading and managing an outbound sales team. Like what works for you? Where do you see success? Oh, every day is different, right? When you work with people, every day is different. Where I found most success in doing it is really being part of the team. 
right? As a manager, I do truly believe in leading as an example, right? And actually really being, when you think about it, what is the role of a manager, of a leader in sales? It's to help their team be successful, right? That's the only role. Okay, we go into forecasting, you know, all those stuff. That's a different side, but primary goal is to support your team in being successful. And that's what I like to do, right? People confuse that with micromanaging, which is a completely different beast. Let's put it that way. I prefer to be in the deals with the reps and trying to help them, right? Let them do their thing and just be there as support and helping them. And that was quite successful. But honestly, it all starts with the fundamentals of having the right team. So I think that's where it all starts in recruiting and finding right people at the right time, at the right stage of the company, right? Because as the company progresses, you know, when you look at your sales team, you are going to start looking at different traits from your sales organization. So that's quite critical in understanding where you are, what is the right persona you're looking for at that stage. Let's dive into that a little bit. When you're going through the hiring process, how do you know you've got the right person or like, what is it that you're kind of looking for? I'm sure there's people listening that trying to get hired that would love the perspective here. Yeah. Yeah. Happy to share something like that. So we are in high tech sales, right? We're very complex sales as Orangutan B. We sell graph databases, which as complex it gets, that's where we are, right? So very simple. I'm looking for three things in a great candidate. And that is intelligence, right? Basic intelligence, drive, got to be driven. You got to be willing to work hard and people skills. Because guess what? Those are the only three things you can teach someone. Right? Everything else you can be taught, right? You can learn the technology, you can understand the market, you can understand the persona you're going to talk to. All that can be taught. And you know, through a real good sales enablement, you can get those people up there. But if they don't have these three key traits, you're going to have a problem. At least that was always my experience. Yeah, and, and I'm guessing it's a fairly brief interview. I mean, a couple hours tops, I would guess. But how are you asking that? How are you figuring that out? And like, what kind of clues are you looking for when you hear them? So the way I always start my interviews is I don't do interviews. Let's put it that way. I have a conversation. I throw out all those interview questions that everybody prepares for anyways, right? You won't get genuine answers. You'll get pre-organized answers the way people think you want to hear it. That's not what I'm looking for. I'm looking to meet the person on the other side off the screen or in person if possible. But it's really a conversation, understanding where that person comes from, you know, looking at their background, what drives them, learn more about the person. Don't look at the resume is my key thing, right? The resume is a resume. It's good to have it. Don't get me wrong, right? Someone with a lot of experience, but you really want to understand the person. And that's where most of these traits come out, right? You can kind of read between the lines. Intelligence is something that comes out anyways, right? Through a conversation. <laughs> but when it comes down to being driven, right? Drive, I always look at one of my questions, usually where I steer a conversation is, what's your goal in life? Not work, right? Not leave your career. What's your goal, right? What's your ideal life scenario? Right. Those are the, some of the things that when you talk to people, you understand how driven they are and what's kind of motivating them, because that's a key thing. If you don't know your team well enough in later stages to know what drives them and motivates them. Right? In sales, everybody likes to say everybody's motivated by money. I say that comes third on the list. Right. It is a motivator factor for sure. Right. Don't get me wrong. We're all here to make money, especially in sales. Right. But you have to know what motivates the people, right? What gets them going, what they're really working for. That tells you right away, you know, are they driven or they're not? And then people skills, it's just having a conversation, right? Can they read the room? I like to throw in a few curveballs in those conversations, right? 
kind of pull back from the conversation and stuff like just to see how people read that. And that's, the, again, going back to, you know, the thing we started talking about, the biggest problem is that you can't really teach someone that. They either have it or they don't, right? But to also be honest with you, most salespeople that you talk to learn that if they have a lot of experience, if they didn't have it already, they kind of figured it out down the line. So even if someone that's listening feels like, oh, I'm maybe not good as reading the room and stuff like that, don't get discouraged. You will learn. And I'm a big believer in people voicing and saying, hey, I don't think I'm good at something, right? I want to work on it. And I think that's one of the key things, you know, on top of key, let's say three things, let's say fourth would be honesty. Because anyone that's been in sales for long enough knows by reading your resume and quotas and overachievement and stuff like that, if you're not honest about it, that can come out in two minutes. Right. Because yeah. somebody that's been closing deals knows how that works. And, you know, two questions around the deal, they know whether or not you're kind of pulling a bit those numbers and stuff like that. So, in my opinion, it's always fair to be honest and say, hey, I don't know. Or I wasn't part of this sale. I did have a small role in whatever it is. I think that's also critical because it talks a lot about character of a person that you want to work with. I like that. And I just want to kind of piggyback a little bit when you mentioned that person that may be listening that feels like they might not have those three intangible skills. And if you want to get better at those skills, what I would suggest is throwing yourself into the fire, making yourself as uncomfortable as you can, put yourself in those uncomfortable circumstances over and over again, and just practice the art of being calm in that moment and powering through it and getting there. Because that's, in my opinion, that's kind of how you learn those kind of intangible skills. Oh yeah. I couldn't agree more, right? Get out of that comfort zone, put yourself out there, do the things you don't want to do is how you get better and how you grow, right? So whatever it is, you can learn everything if you put in enough effort into it. So speaking to that candidate that's, you know, out there that's trying to get hired, like if you could give them a piece of advice, like what would you tell them? Don't apply through LinkedIn and stuff like that. (laughs) (laughs) To be honest, that's one piece of advice I would always give, right? Do your research. People get desperate and I understand that. And then they just go in and apply for whatever they see. It just doesn't work. You don't even go to a recruiting person, right? You get through a system scanner that just kind of throws you out. It doesn't matter, right? Don't do that. And don't go after, oh, do I fit the criteria? Those criteria are written by industry standards that mean nothing. I'll hire a person with a year of experience tomorrow if I see the potential in them versus even if the job ad says five years of experience selling SaaS, for example. It doesn't matter that much. Don't get discouraged by that and do your research. Do your research about the company. Do your research about the team, right? For example, I always like when people reach out to me on LinkedIn, right? Hey, I know you know there's an opening. I'm not sure if that falls under your purview, but I'd love to put my name out there. I think that goes a lot further than just applying. But hey, also, always, when you see a job you like, go on that website, company website, go on the careers and apply through that. Because that then goes directly into company system. That's kind of a trick that a lot of people that maybe are looking for first jobs and stuff like that don't know. Don't apply through just LinkedIn. LinkedIn is, you know, it's just another filter over a filter that you don't need. Yeah, I love that advice. I think that that's amazing. I would also say I like it when somebody reaches out to me directly. They see an opening and they send in either it's a LinkedIn message or they send an email. Somehow they find my information and they shoot something over. Like to me, that's you're in sales. Like. That's a, that's a good move. You know, that's well, the type of behavior that will get you hired in sales. So exactly. Right. And that's 
the type of behavior that's expected from you in a sales role. Right? So yep. show that you know how to do it even before you get the job. Yeah, I love it. Now, let's say we're looking at promoting somebody from within. We got an opening. What are you looking for in somebody that's already been hired in order to take that next step? Yeah, so I'm a big believer in promoting from within. I believe it kind of boosts morale for everyone in the team. You know, it shows you, oh, there's something more out there. If I work hard, if I do what I need to do, you know, there's more to gain. For me, it's always just step up. Don't wait for someone to tell you to step up. Step up your game, do more, you know, just elevate yourself from everyone else. Whether that's in giving regular updates, even if you're not asked for it, right? Be proactive. Don't just put yourself out there. And this is kind of a tricky one. Don't overdo it, right? Because there's kind of a balance that you got to put there, right? Be strategic about it, but make sure your name is heard, right? That you're out there and just do what you need to do. And in sales, you know, it's also quite easy. Just overachieve, right? No one gets promoted if they don't overachieve in sales. Unfortunately, that, you know, that's what we sign up for. We are measured by the number, whatever that number is, whether it's, you know, New business, ARR, renewals, whether it's, you know, net new meetings, whatever it is, you got to overachieve it. That's kind of your first step. But then it goes just go above and beyond. And that's what's going to get you promoted. And if not, start looking elsewhere. I've always kind of thought of it as like, make yourself irreplaceable. Do things that if you weren't there, people would really, really miss. And it's going to make you stickier. It's going to make it a lot harder to move you out of your spot. But from the perspective of like a manager now, like if we're talking about assembling a team, putting the best team on the field as we possibly can, how do you go from a place of having highly talented individuals that you've brought on and you've vetted that you feel really good about to form a cohesive unit? Do you think about that? I do. I do. Well, you got to also think, depending on the sizes of the company and the team, the dynamics is quite different, right? So if you have multiple people covering the same territory, the dynamic is a bit different versus when you have people that own a whole territory. So they're not really competing one with another, right? So you got to consider that. But honestly, I think it all starts with the manager. Honestly, it starts with the CEO through the whole company down to the manager. But the manager is the one that really needs to set the tone for the team and set the example, right? So if a manager is not jumping in and helping everyone, right, whoever needs help, then they don't feel like that's something that's expected from them as well. I love doing stand-ups with my team, right? You put in a stand-up, get them all together, all the forecast calls. You want to have the whole team together when you're talking about deals, talking about progression. I think that all helps. Then everybody gets to you know chime in a bit, and always, you know, give credit where credit is due. If someone helps someone, make sure everybody knows that, right? Put out on public Slack in the company or send out an email, whatever it is, right? So the people feel valued. But if you get a team that feels valued, there is some excitement about helping each other, you won't have a problem with getting that cohesive team running. Is there anything that you do in particular that keeps people really engaged or, you know, kind of contributes to that like team environment? There are things we do on a daily basis, right? You know, stand-up calls, stuff like that. But I think the key thing I do is, at least I believe I do or try to do it, is give public credit. Because as much as the manager says, great job, or even if it goes to the CRO who says a great job, which is great, you want to make it, especially if it's a smaller company, company-wide thing, right? Just give credit where credit is due. And I think that's kind of a big morale booster. Second thing, you know, Get all the work that's being done to be done publicly, right? Whether it's a kudos channel, whether it's sales, big wins, for example. I love the name of that channel that we've 
put in is every win is a big one, right? We don't just celebrate those six, seven figure deals. We celebrate a $20,000 deal if needed, right? We all celebrate together. And I think that kind of really boosts everyone's morale and you know, make sure everybody gets the kudos they deserve for the good work. Nice. Do you ever do any like team building exercises where people get in a Zoom room and all hang out? Or do you have any type of like team events or little, you know, spiffs, different things you throw at people? We do. We do spiffs now and then, of course. Getting really a team building exercise over Zoom kind of works, but it really doesn't, right? So for me, it's more about, you know, a QBR when we all get together, right? It's QBRs or it's the sales kickoff when we're all there, especially sales kickoffs because we usually go to Europe. So, you know. Everybody gets kind of moved away and that's always fun. But yeah, I always look to do team events, something for the team, you know, team building exercises, whatever they are, right? Whatever we come up with, whether it's sports, whether it's, you know, paintball, whether it's, you know, let's do something and, you know, shoot marketing on paintball, right? Let's get, make sure that sales goes against marketing and stuff like that, right? So it's always fun. You know, we're all one team at the end of the day as a company, but you always want to figure out something. Again, from a sports analogy, just some sort of competition for the team to work together. Yeah. You know, every year we change it up. So whenever we can, we change it up, we figure something out. But I do get a lot of help there from my sales enablement person that really cares about that. Yeah. I want to ask too, because like we're purely remote and we don't necessarily have anything that's like scheduled or on the docket for us to all kind of huddle up as a group. How tangible of an effect would you say getting people that are remote to meet each other in person has? It's critical, in my opinion. The dynamic shift. Once you meet a person in person, right? They're not just a number in the company. You can see the dynamics, you know, when you monitor, for example, Slack, especially a fully remote company where we have sales, but you know, sales interacts with all the different departments in the company. You see the interaction change once they met in person, right? You build a much better team, let's put it that way, when you get to know people. And I think it's critical, to be honest. You, know, you got to get people to meet people. I think it's a big shift in the direction of a company. I mean, you'll never have everyone get to know everyone, but once you know you get people in one place, a larger group completely shifts the way people work together. And I think it's critical. That may have been the answer to my next question, but my next question is, what kind of workplace culture have you found to be most conducive to a strong performance with your sales team? It's a balance. You know, it's a team. We're all in it together, but you got to pull your weight. So the way I like to do it, when we win, we close deals. The people that close deals, close deals. When we lose, I lost, not my team, right? So I prefer to put myself in front of my team. If it's a problem, it's on me. It's not on my team. If we did something great, they did it. It wasn't me, right? I'm here to support them. And I think letting them know, and it's not just not showing them that that's really the case really helps build a much more cohesive team and supportive team and engaged team, right? Because once they see that the manager is willing to put themselves out there and you know take the heat if necessary, you wouldn't believe. But next time you'll see everybody's working a lot harder not to put that, you know, the person take the heat for something they could have done better. Again, it really comes by leading by an example, in my opinion. I like it. And when it comes to balancing that relationship as, you know, the manager that wants to step in there and kind of take as much off their team's plate or kind of support their team as much as possible. I'm sure there's kind of a counterbalance with like delegation and putting more responsibility onto to somebody else's plate. How do you think of that dynamic when it comes to like, well, I could do this, but really this is something they should do. Or like, how do you think through some of those points? Yeah, it's setting the expectation, right? I think one-on-ones are critical. Having good one-on-ones with your team, it starts there, right? I always say I'll praise in public, I'll criticize in private. 
It's one-on-one setting the right expectation with your team and what's expected from them, right? There's a lot of managers that have expectations, but they never actually told anyone that that's the expectation, right? And that's where you get a lot of friction. For me, it's very clear. This is the expectation from you. I'm here to help. I'm not here to do your job, right? And that's kind of the key thing. The reps are, it's on them to do the work. I'm here to support, bounce ideas. And if needed, I'll jump on a call with them and I'll take over on the call if needed, if they need my help. But it is expected from them because that's how they grow, right? If you go in and you just do all the work for them, you'll end up always doing the work, right? You want them to learn. You want them to, you know, get better every day. And the only way to do it is by doing it, in my opinion. So that's kind of the way I like to position it. And, you know, again, it goes back to setting the right expectation. Amazing. I really like that answer too. What are other teams missing on that you think that they could be doing just other outbound sales teams that maybe from that upper management level, they're being misguided or set in the wrong direction? Like, is there anything that you could pick apart there that management could do to empower the upper management to empower the manager and the sales team? Yeah, I think a clear vision from the company, where the company is going from the product really helps the sales team as well. But it's also setting the right expectations. You've got to be able to set the right expectations from the top and then roll them down. Let's put it in a normal way, right? So there's a lot of, especially in this economy where, you know, there's a lot of pressure. We know what's going on out there on the market. There's a lot of pressure on, especially on the sales scene, to bring in numbers, right? And that's completely fine. That's what we all signed up for, right? First to raise my hand, I sign up for that. I'm going to bring it in. But it has to be realistic and they have to understand what's going on, right? Sometimes... You know, if the economy is not the best, we've got to know that a lot of deals will go sideways just because of it, right? There's panic out there. And I think that needs to come from top level management, right? That they understand that. And it's not just criticizing the team. It's also saying, okay, we understand. Let's figure out how we'll make up for the number, how we'll make up for that deal. How can we help you? I think one thing that I'm proud enough to say that in my company, we really do get support from top level management, right? From the CEO that was more than willing to jump on calls with prospects, later stages, of course, you won't put them on a prospect call, but you know, mm-hmm. on later stages where it's needed, you know, from the CRO also being more than happy to guide by example and kind of lead that way and you know, jump in, help out. I think that's critical for success of an organization is that at the end of the day, we're all in it together. Right. And setting the right expectation, but also showing some empathy. I think that's one of the things that sales often misses on, right? On the empathy part, right? Salespeople are people. They also have their own problems, right? And there has to be some empathy on it. It's not just the numbers, even though we all get measured by only one thing. And that's, did we make our number or not? Yeah. Let's say we've got a bad economy, right? And a quota is high. It's a high expectation for a rep. And the rep's coming to you and he's, they're saying, you know, this is too high. I can't achieve this. Like, how do you respond? Well, in all reality, quotas don't change, right? <laughs> they get shifted. So there might be a mistake made in the quota, right? That, you know, we do as management need to go back and look for it. I like to say to my team, my job is to make you as much money as possible. And the only way you do that is, you know, by helping you get to your numbers, right? I don't care about your quota. I care about your accelerators. That's where I put most of the books. But if you can't hit your quota, you have a problem. So it goes back to understanding where the problem is, right? Because I want to set the tone here. Everybody complains about their quota, 
right? Everybody's always <laughs> going to complain. It can always be lower, right? If it's realistic, then the management needs to take it on themselves and figure out what to do with it. That's my personal opinion. And that's what I try to do with my team, right? If we set the quota in the beginning of the year, it goes really back onto how do you come up to the quota? I think a lot of companies go by, okay, this is the number we committed to the board. Now just divide it by your team and figure out how they get to it. That's the wrong way of doing it, right? I believe quota should be done by deep analysis of the pipeline, of the territory, and off historical data, what can be done, right? Always with an uptick to everything. If the quota wasn't set correctly in the beginning, it's not on the rep, it's on the management that decided and why did they decide. And that's why it's critical to have those kind of indicators. Why did we get to this number? So that you can also, as a manager, you can explain to the rep why that number came up with. And if there was a mistake, who owned it? Where did we make the mistake? Quotas can be shifted, let's put it that way. From my experience, usually it's done by with spiffs, right? More than just changing the quota because quota is a quota. But hey, again, going back to the empathy, right? If the economy is the way it is and there's a trajectory on the market, you got to take care of your people. People often say, well, they have to hit their quota. Yes, right? If we cut down their quota, you know, the company can lose money. Yes. But what is the loss of that person being unhappy, not performing to the extent they could be and leaving? Right. And what's the cost of hiring a new person, training them and all that? That is all something that should be taken in consideration. And at the end of the day, right, you got to help your team. So my role is to go at the bat and try to help my team as much as possible. You can't always change quotas, right? If they were done methodologically and strategically, it is what it is. But then it goes back to how can I help you? Okay, let's sit down together and let's figure it out. And Again, I'm a big believer in supporting the team, right? In the beginning of this call, I think before we even started the podcast, we talked about, yeah, it's Tuesday, PG Tuesday, something we do, right? Pipeline Generation Tuesday. I go and help my reps, right? I'm happy to do so. Okay, what is your account list? What are your target accounts? Okay, let's analyze how you're doing in that, first of all. Second of all, if you're overwhelmed, let me take over some of those. Let me reach out. Let me try to yeah. get, let me do the out, right? I'll do phone calls. I'll do call calling. It's fun for me, right? I don't do it on a daily basis. For me, that's even fun. But yeah, it's all about finding the right balance between whether it was a realistic quota or is it a training thing and supporting thing. So you got to figure that out first before anything gets changed, in my opinion. Love that answer again. So nice. So winding it down just a little bit, if you could offer a piece of wisdom to an outbound sales team, what would that piece of wisdom be? One golden nugget, one key takeaway. Be proactive, don't be reactive. And there's a sentence I love and I always tell it to my team, right? I'm not going to take the risk of waiting. I'm going to take the risk of fighting for what we want. So don't sit back, don't wait for things to happen, be proactive. In my opinion, that's key for everyone, especially in sales. If you're proactive, then... Everybody sees that, right? When someone is reactive and sitting back, you lose a lot of confidence in you as a salesperson as well, right? From people looking from the outside. So it's very critical that you're outgoing, you're taking the initiative, you're setting the pace, you're being proactive in your deals, in prospecting, in everything you do, right? I think that sets you apart from just being a mediocre salesperson. Yeah, I agree with that totally too. I think the way that I always say it is, if you give somebody the chance to forget about you, they will. So exactly. stay on them, stay with them. Don't let them go for any reason. Hold on for your life. A no is not a no. It's okay. I didn't explain it to you well enough. That's the way I see it. And what's the value? And the key thing I always say, and maybe 
I should have said this even earlier, be curious, be genuinely curious. Yeah. Don't just you know ask, oh, I'm interested, but I'm not. If you're not interested in the problems, the technology or whatever you're selling solves, go look for another job, find another thing you'll be interested in. Yep. The performance shifts completely. Once you're genuinely interested and you genuinely ask questions to the prospect or whoever you're talking to and be supportive and helpful and try to provide value, that's what shifts the whole conversation. And that's how you get from a no to, okay, a yes. So the genuine curiosity and genuine confidence, it's come up on other conversations that we've done for the podcast, like tone in my mind, like that's the single greatest key that you can unlock is unlocking that tone. I mean, there's no other way to do it than being genuinely curious and genuinely confident. So if you don't feel that you have that, then I think those are the types of things that you can reflect on internally and figure out how to come with the right approach. Even if it's like a pre-call research, you just right before you jump into that call, just kind of get yourself in that state of mind where I really want to learn about what's happening here and, and kind of come in with that approach or similarly going into like a closing call. It's like, I know we have the right solution here. So I know we're going to win this deal and have that come across in your tone will absolutely change the way that a seller performs. Exactly. If you're not excited about whatever you're selling, how are you going to get a person that doesn't even know what you're selling excited? Mm -hmm. right? And there's yeah. one also trick I was taught from one of my former CROs is smile. On a cold call, smile. People sense that, right? If you smile and you're genuinely interested and you ask the right questions and you're confident, and if you're enthusiastic, people feel that on the other side. So try smiling. Yeah. Trust me, it changes the game. <laughs> yeah, they said that at my very first company I ever worked for, there was a big sign in the corner, smile and dial. But like, it's funny because it's true because the other person on the other side, all they have to go off of is your voice. And if you're smiling, they can hear that. That's something that you can actually hear. So yeah, totally agree there. And it just makes people more receptive and just want to hang on the phone for you another extra second, which can be the difference between getting that call booked and getting that prospect interested or having it completely die on the vine right there. 100%. I mean, in some of these older companies, they used to have mirrors on every desk. So you would look at yourself and smile while you're dialing. Right? It does help. It does help. It really does. And like you said, that one extra second can make it or break it. So don't lose that opportunity to get that. Yeah, you got nothing to lose. You're call calling anyway. So just smile and see. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Beautiful. So a final question that I've got here for you. Over the past 10, five months, technology has really penetrated into the sales space in a way that it has not in the past. What are your thoughts on that, A, and then B, like, how do you see technology continuing to, you know, evolve the world of sales? All right. So the one that everybody's talking about now, right? Chat GPT <laughs> getting Chat in. Chat GPT. There you go. I love it, personally. I love it. So this is the thing. Technology will not exchange people, right? It will exchange the people that don't know how to use it and leverage. That's the difference, right? If you know how to leverage technology, it's going to make your life so much easier. If you know how to leverage ChatGPT, it's going to help you. You're going to be more effective. You're going to be faster. You're going to get things done quicker, right? So I think the biggest fear here is, will people start leveraging only the technology and relying only on the technology, or will they use the technology to elevate their game? And I think that's the key thing. We love technology, and technology is just going to get better and better every year. Like, I mean, ChatGPT kind of changed the way people look at technology and in a month when it came out, it was panic, right? On the market, people are panicked for their jobs <laughs> and stuff. And we shouldn't be afraid of it, right? Technology is gonna come, 
better technology. We just got to learn how to leverage it, make ourselves better. And in sales, I think it's amazing. I'm sure you've delved into it. I looked at it for prospecting, for stuff like that, for getting general information about the company you want to be calling into. I think it's great. I think it speeds up the process and you know, I'm all for it, right? especially, I mean, coming from the technology sector and selling technologies and especially what we do, right? Kind of goes into machine learning and building AI models and stuff like that. So I really do think it's going to make life a lot easier for people that learn how to leverage it. It might make it harder for people that don't. Are you leveraging chat GPT at all in any of your campaigns or have you sprinkled it in? Well, if the reps are not, then they're missing out. I'll be honest with you. <laughs> Honestly, I'm not sure if I should say this, but I use it mostly for emails to the higher level people in my company. It helps me so much. I just put in, put this kind of tone. This is what I want to tell them. Just <laughs> And then you go back and you edit it. But, you know, it helps out. It helps out. And I do think people should use it, especially someone new coming, you know, to a role of an SDR, for example, right? Getting new to that. Play around with ChatGPT, see what it offers in terms of how to approach stuff, right? How to write an email. You know, I would never say use only that and that's your solution. But hey, it's great to bounce ideas and see maybe, you know, another aspect of it or how you can approach things. I think people should definitely use it. And I play around with it quite a lot, to be honest. Definitely crazy. I haven't fully formed my opinion, but I do agree. If you're not using it, you're missing out. And, you know, I could probably stand to get a little bit better with it personally. But it's, I mean, technology is there for a reason. It's because it helps us in nearly all cases. So you're just kind of falling behind if you're not picking it up and running with it. Exactly. I, I in my opinion. The question here is, are we educating the people about the technology that's coming out? If we educate the people how to leverage it, then people are not as afraid of it as you know someone that's never heard of it doesn't know what to do with it and there's this smart technology that's talking to people coming out right and they fear of world ending and stuff like that in reality <laughs> it won't it's always going to be monitored right to a degree but it really comes back to who's using it and who is you know pulling out the information they're getting from it i think it just comes back to educating people about it amazing well that's what i have lined up for so I thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. This was a great one. Had awesome insights across the board. Kept coming with value. So really, really appreciate that. Before we sign off here, anything that you wanted to quick plug? Anything that you want to throw out to people? No, just, you know, sales is tough. It's the hardest job in the world that's easiest to measure, right? Unfortunately, it's on the numbers, but don't lose hope even if you're not getting there, right? Keep doing it. Keep putting yourself out there. Don't stop. Be proactive. Be genuinely interested and results will come. If you do the right things, results will come and just keep grinding at it, right? It's that kind of a job we all signed up for, but it's also, I would say, the funnest job to do in the world because you get to talk to so many different people thinking differently. And I think that's really great. And yeah, don't give up. And for everybody that's looking for a job, it is a bit of a harder market right now. So think about how you can stand out to people, right? How can you stand out? And like we talked before, right? Reach out directly to the people that you think, you know, are part of the hiring process. Put your name out there, do the extra step. Trust me, it does play a big difference. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Chris. It was a great conversation again, and we'll stay in touch, I'm sure. Of course. Thank you so much for the time and having me here. And again, love to share information. And if any of the listeners have any questions or they heard something they like, they want to expand on it, they can always reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'm happy to provide some more insights into a specific topic or something like that. 
I truly do believe that you know sharing information, especially in a group of you know salespeople, is critical for us all to elevate. And I do believe you can learn from everyone. So if anybody has a question, feel free to come out because I'm looking forward to learning maybe something new from that person as well. Awesome. Thank you again and be in touch. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. The Outbound Sales Podcast is brought to you by Uplead, the premier source for accurate B2B data you need to connect with and close your most valuable buyers. With a focus on data accuracy, Uplead offers a 95 plus percent accuracy guarantee. To learn more about how Uplead can help you find accurate B2B data of the people you want to do business with, visit our website at www.uplead.com. Don't forget to search for the Outbound Sales Podcast in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts to stay updated on all of our latest episodes. Thank you for listening, and we hope you find value in each episode.